podcast one production. Jenny Cooney has been a part of Hollywood for 30 years, reporting on all the Aussie stars, from Hoags to the Hemsworths, Hugh Jackman, Nicole Kidman, Margot Robbie and beyond. This is Aussies in Hollywood. So I was excited to talk to Joel Edgerton and it's funny with the Aussies over here that they all seem to be connected in some way. Joel Edgerton and Ben Mendelsohn have been friends for years and both of them had been working kind of under the radar for a long time here until they co-starred in the 2010 movie Animal Kingdom. Of course, Joel has also directed the movie The Gift and then he's directed two Aussies in his upcoming movie Boy Erased Nicole Kidman and Russell Crowe. So there's a lot of Aussies around Joel, not to mention his own brother, Nash Edgerton, who's a great filmmaker in his own right, and he recently directed Joel in the Charlize Theron movie Gringo. So Joel's movies include Zero Dark Thirty, Black Mass, The Great Gatsby, and Loving, which was one of my favourites and earned him a Golden Globe nomination. So we sat in Joel's house in Hollywood the house that he bought with his brother, and his brother and wife and kids actually live in the house. Joel lives in New York, but he crashes in Hollywood when he's in town. So he made me a cup of tea and we sat at the kitchen table and talked about all the great things that have happened in his career. So if you could try and make that, put that in front of you and point the microphone at my mouth yeah pretty easy as you said you know where your mouth is right i know where my mouth is <laughs> and uh i'll just make sure if you talk into it for a second like do a foley from perfect get out. there you go oh go to the sunken S- place jenny <laughs> stirring your tea i love it <laughs> it's changed uh, the yes. way everybody stirs their tea that movie right right yeah <laughs> especially if it's your mother-in-law let's be like oh my gosh She's taking you sending me to the sunken place. <laughs> uh, one, 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 two. Testing. All right, perfect. So um, I really want to thank you. I I'm so honoured that you found the time because I know that you're well. You're always juggling a million things, but right now mm. you're you're literally only back in LA for a few days. Mm. You might be getting on a plane to Australia tonight. You might not. Yeah. I've just always loved your story. I think it's a really inspirational. Story because you know, next to Ben Mendelssohn, I think the two of you have toughed it out on and off <laughs> for a long time, and it just felt like you had a, a few times where a lot of other actors might have just said, Oh, I'm forget it, I'm going home. Mm. Um, and yet you just kept coming back, and each time you came back bigger than the last time, and and now you're not going anywhere, right? <laughs> I, I hope not. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about. I never really felt like like I remember when uh, I, I got to get back to Ben as well because his, his story and my story are kind of like well he is very much part of the fabric of my story you know in terms of the feeling of uh, uh, of working and feeling like whether it's all worth it whether you're wasting your time I always felt like I was never wasting my time. I always felt like, and and I think maybe judgment as to whether things are going well or not well for a person comes more from outside because maybe I'm blind or maybe my ego got in the way or whatever and there's definitely times where I felt like, oh, this is, this is, you know, things are good or things are not good but I never felt like I wasn't doing something. I never felt like I wasn't creating something. I never felt like 
I wasn't sort of trying to pull some moves to move forward. In fact, some of my favourite people that I meet in Hollywood, young actors or young writers or young directors who get up in the morning and they're hustling to see how they can jump up to the next step because they're they're energised about it and they're not sitting at the top step, you know, grumbling about their success. They're just looking for success and so they're really open-eyed and interested and and they're constantly moving and I, I love that energy. Well, if we can go back to the beginning for a minute. Um, I know you, you grew up in New South Wales. Was it like a city upbringing or a country, rural? I grew up in uh, a place called Dural, mm. which uh, is, you know, used to be like an hour northwest of Sydney and it was a small-ish town. You know, obviously pre-internet, <laughs> which I say because small places is, is not so small anymore if you're connected to the internet and information. Um, it also means you have to amuse yourself a little bit more creatively, right? You yeah. And, you yeah. and Ash were, I think you, I read your dad who's a solicitor had a camera, you guys were. Yeah, I saw the segue coming in there. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, absolutely. We've talked openly about that a lot is that the trip into making stuff came from being around a camera and not really having that much else to do. Because what what we had to do for entertainment was to go to Parramatta where Dad had his practice, his law practice, and go to see a movie. And quite often what we did actually from the ages of like 10 to 14, I remember, or a bit older, is that, you know, a small gang of friends would go sort of to see a movie, buy your ticket, walk around Westfield aimlessly, (laughs) go to the magic shop and just jeans and stuff. And then if we had time before or after, we'd go into the courts. You'd go into the open court. You You could watch a court case, you know, as long as it wasn't a closed thing. And it didn't matter what age you were, you could just walk in and watch someone get put away for, you know, Grand Theft Auto or... Something And that was entertainment as well. But again, like we weren't sitting there going, okay, this is the beginning of our careers. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to be filmmakers. Like, You're 10, I'm 9. <laughs> Start a company. <laughs> so, you know, you, went, you ended up going to study drama after high school. So at what point then did you think, wow, I could do this for a living? I was doing a play at my high school as like an extracurricular thing. And someone from an exchange program who was organising this special exchange thing came along to the play and asked me and a buddy of mine if we would be involved in this travelling thing where we would go and do like a a play in the States. And they were like grabbing kids from a bunch of different schools. Really? Wow. Yeah, so I, I ended up in Texas for like two months going to high school and doing this play, which was essentially like a review, Australian kind of review show. It was, a li- it was sort of, you know, it was quite sweet and innocent. But I got to travel. I got to go to America. I got to go to an American school. And you understand, like, I was obsessed with American culture. <laughs> I think that's when I first went, I could be an actor the other part of – there was a balanced part of that equation which was watching um, – there was a production when I was in year 11 at school of The Crucible and I saw that twice and I was like, I want to do that. Like I want to think that's what I could do. Right, so, you know, I was having this feeling like I could, I could work in the theatre. I could be a, a, like a stage actor. That was the plan, the beginning of a plan back then, which mm-hmm. is why I went to drama school. And um, 
Nash had gone off in a different direction ahead of you. He's your older sibling, right? Yeah, Nash was doing electrical engineering and he, he came up to me one day. <laughs> He's like, oh, I've got to show you something. And it was a letter of kind of this weird informal acceptance letter from a bunch of stunt guys who were inviting him to come and train with them. And he told me in one move that he had quit university and he was going to start training with these stunt guys. And I think, you know, particularly weighed heavily on him and my mum and dad because I guess because he'd left something so seemingly sound and solid in the form of electrical engineering education to then go, maybe instead I'm going to set myself on fire, you know. So that was pretty – and luckily enough for me, it just took all the pressure off me going, I'm probably going to go to drama school. As long as it was school, they were happy. Yeah, if anybody out there is scared about telling their parents they want to do something artistic – Get your brother or sister just beforehand to tell them that they're going to be a stunt person. (laughs) And his plan was, let's make a short film that is like half an acting scene because he was thinking about me and I I was in the same boat. It's like I've left drama school but nobody's really given me a job and I was working as a porter at a hotel um, in King's Cross. So uh, because I was sort of supposedly educated or trained but but lacking employ (laughs) – lacking employment, and Nash felt the same. He had this brainwave that we make like a basically like a short film that's like a business card for ourselves where half it would be about what I wanted to do and half it would be about what he wanted to do. So it was me and another guy buying a gun of two other guys and then we steal the guns. So the first part is this tense, you know, young hoodlum sort of, piece where we're buying the gun and the second half is just full of octane chase sequence and that was loaded the short film loaded and it was kieran darcy smith who i'd been to drama school with and we just you know shot it and nash somehow had worked out how to shoot this incredible action sequence and with no money well you know and it's it's a cute but true fact that that the film cost us 550 dollars because nash broke a windshield of a car doing a car hit but we didn't spend any other money on it, and um, you know you can watch you can watch the movie on YouTube, whereas back then you couldn't. So if people want to hear or watch what I'm talking about, you know, it's black and white, really grainy. What's the name of the high eight? It's called Loaded. Loaded, right? And uh, all of your short films are on YouTube now. Yeah, that started it, and um, the plan wasn't to be filmmakers. The plan was just to make this thing, and then for it to kick off our careers, and then. And in some ways it did because we went to film festivals and met lots of people that we're still connected with. But what it did do was it made us go, this is cool, making a movie, let's do another one. So then we made a second one and then so be it, like on and on it went, slowly but surely. (laughs) Well, they they got a lot of um, attention because I know when I interviewed Charlize Theron recently about um, Gringo, she said that she had seen Spider which mm. I rewatched again last night because it's one of my favourite shorts and mm. you just laugh out loud every time. Yeah. Um, and she said all the way back then she had reached out to Nash after seeing that and you guys had all sort of become friends from that point onward. Yeah. Spider was one of the first ones that actually kind of went a bit viral. Like, you know, the amount of times I got to say to people, oh, my brother made that, you know. And you're in it. Yeah, I play an Ambo. Mm. 
you're a big TV break in Australia was uh, Secret Life of Us, right? Mm. Did did was that something you were excited about? That was a very groundbreaking show for TV, even back then when TV didn't have the kudos that it had now. Yeah, and it was sort of the perfect thing because it was TV, but it felt like it was elevated in some way in the writing, and then you know, as we found out in the execution of it, I thought it was elevated as well, and it gave me that kind of you know, a little bit more of a profile. I never really wanted to kind of leave the show, but I've, I kind of had, you know, things, other things I wanted to do and I, I'd started getting a little bit ambitious, I think, at that point. And I, and I was like, if I was really honest with myself, what I wanted to do was work in movies. And was that when you got cast in the Star Wars film that was shooting in Sydney or was that... Around so the same time. yeah, it was around the same time actually, because we we it was between the pilot of Secret Life and the shooting of the series um, that we did Star Wars. You were Anakin's stepbrother. I was Anakin's stepbrother. Yeah, I'm you know loosely related to the Force. But you were um, in Star Wars. That must have been pretty amazing at that point in your life. Yeah, it was pretty. Rad- I mean, look, you know, because I shot majority of my days in Tunisia. Which also was oh, like even getting, better than Sydney. <laughs> yeah, well, my Sydney days were great, but then, um, and also, get, you know, going back and thinking that uh, that what I had wanted to do was, you know, go and see the world, and this was the first proof that that was possible. So it wasn't lost on me that things were starting to kind of pan, pan out. So when did you actually come back to America and base yourself in LA? At what point? Uh, Star Wars kind of, you know, gave me the chance to come here. A couple of us that I know of were, were very sort of dipping our toe in here and, and you know, Heath was so wonderful to us because we, we knew Heath a little bit but he just kind of threw his doors open. Because you'd done Ned Kelly with Heath, was that? Yeah, but that before? was oh, before that was Ned oh, Kelly. So okay. this is prior to Ned Kelly. That was So Ned Kelly was 2003, I think. Right, yeah, it was. So this is 2000, but I kind of loosely knew Heath through a few different people. But he, he was very generous and I stayed at his place a couple of times. You're one of the people that had a key to Heath Ledger's place, huh? Yeah. There was there were many, many of them I heard. Yeah, but that's because he was just so yeah. generous and I think he realised just how he was very mature and a little bit sort of wise beyond his years, I think. And I think he was very in tune with the fact that he felt very lucky with the way that things had happened for him and the way he had steered things and the way that he was sort of now had sort of by that point had already kind of landed on his feet. And he was incredibly generous to people who were sort of still stumbling around in the dark. And, um, you know, and and he was off shooting a lot at the time. So, you know, he just sort of figure it was better to have people in his house and not but why I mention it um, is because it gave those people me and I think Marty Henderson was there and it gave you the opportunity to kind of stay in America I mean it's pure practical thing but the idea of staying in the states for longer than you could afford to because you weren't necessarily paying rent or wow and it's amazing how much that means I mean I actually thanked Phil Noyce for that as well recently because, um, you know, Jason Clark yeah. and I were both kind of living day to day, you know, hand to mouth. <clears throat> the very funny period of our lives where we were both staying in sort of, you know, uh, at Phil Noyce's place. And he didn't even really know me that well, but he was very generous. And, and um, 
Phil's been like the godfather, hasn't he, of a lot of uh, Phil's, actors. That- Phil's amazing and Phil has that same generosity of spirit. And I, I have to say that that's one of the things that I really appreciated then and it, it's a good thing to rub off on, you know, it's a good thing if it rubs off on yourself is, is to keep um, that sense of generosity, even if it's just advice or being able to talk to people because – Everybody's away from home and they're having a – my brother and I call it taking a shot at the title, you know what I mean? <laughs> and it's, a, it's an apt expression because people attach meaning to it. You know, you go take a shot at the title and you, you step into the ring and if you, if you end up, you know, out for the count and knocked out and things don't work and you don't feel like you've won the bout, sometimes it, 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 you attach it to ego and you go home feeling like, oh, I, I didn't do it, I didn't, you know. Um. And that generosity of spirit that I've seen and experienced by the hands of people has is, is always been incredibly beautiful and, um, yeah. You were kind of in an earlier wave of what is now like we can't even keep up with how many Australians there are in film and television over here that just every morning they get off a Qantas flight, right? Um, yeah. what, what, what did it feel like back then and... Um, and do you do you have any theories about do you think it's because of the inspiration of the younger generation seeing that it was possible that more of more and more of them have come since you? Um, yeah, like I mean I have Russell to thank and Guy and Nicole, Tony Collette. And now there's yeah, you're right, there's so many people here. And a lot of them you won't even realise because they haven't necessarily you know, it'll be young actors that just come straight here. I think that's a difference to me right now is that I think there was always a feeling like you've got to do some things back home and then come to LA and then you don't really need to do that at all. And there's a lot of younger people who are more adventurous and more willing to just take a shot at it and it works out. Mm. Yeah, so there's a ton of people all floating around and I think, yeah, everybody get, gets a boost of confidence from the people that came before them, I guess. I, I always ask everybody this in the podcast, if you think there is any particular th- something about Australians because it's an unusually large amount of people from such a tiny country that have been insanely successful yeah. in the most competitive, you know, town in the world. I tell you, most Australians that I've worked with have a really great relaxed um, and lovable energy when you work with them and I think that goes a long way because – I feel like most of the Australians that I've met who are out there working, part of the reason they're out there working is A, because they're good and B, because they're good to be around. And I think that, you know, it's a silly thing to say that just because you're a nice nice person or a nice guy that, that you know, you're going to work more, but it's sort of true. Mm. It's amazing the amount of times people call each other up and they're like, you know, I'm about to work with Jenny Cooney, what is, you know, what's she like? <laughs> I'm like, well, don't waste your time, pal. <laughs> Life's too short. Um, you know, or you get a good rap and, and people feel confident going into things. So um, Kinky Boots was one of those periods where everybody was talking about the movie and your breakout role. And then it sort of went away a little bit. And then it felt like Animal Kingdom was the thing that really was the real breakthrough. I don't know. What did it feel like to you from the inside with all of this going on? Because it's all about who who goes to see it, well, obviously, and and um, you know, Kinky Boots came and sort of went, and it was, you know, it was. I really loved the movie, but it wasn't like 
you know, it, it was some smash hit at the box office. So I kind of went back to, you know, there were like two doors that I, I kind of saw were going to, ha- you know, that I could have walked through at that point. One of them was like things just step up a level and the other one is you just go back to going in these rooms where you sit in a room where there's like 10 guys that look just like you and you're all about to audition for the same thing and it's all really weird. And um, the second thing is sort of what happened. But thankfully the square was going on and we got finance and and so right around that time that Kinky Boots got released, Nash and Buddy Spence and I went for a drive around Europe, well, Spain and uh, and France and then in Italy for like three months, I think it was, and then came home and made the square. Mm. And that took us like a year and a half and then I remember thinking at the end of the square, it was like, well, nobody's really like looking out asking me to go work on anything else like is that where I'm at right now it's like nothing's happening and now it was it was right around that time that I got a phone call about going to India to do a movie but while I was rehearsing the movie for India I got a call to go meet Gavin O'Connor about this movie Warrior what a great movie that was yeah and then like you know it was just that random like drive out to Malibu and meet this guy and read <laughs> some pages and um yeah, and that, and then sometime after that, obviously, when he put that together, it kind of things shifted for me, and I, uh, you know, suddenly had, you know, feeling like things had moved around a bit. Animal Kingdom, you were working with Ben, and we were going to come back around to. Oh ben. yeah, yeah, yeah. We uh, that whole time in, uh, you know. I think in like early 2008 or nine or whatever, I shot Animal Kingdom and then went off and did Warrior straight afterwards and then came home in like June, July after Warrior and went straight into rehearsal for Streetcar with uh, the thing that – Kate Blanchett at the Sydney Theatre Company. directed. And then I went to like a a health farm at the end of that year because it really like knocked me around. But Animal Kingdom, strangely enough, you know, it was funny because, you know, talk about the power of a small movie, meaning not not that it's a small movie, I think it's quite a big movie in its ideas and all that stuff. But, but it's a small movie in terms of it, where it stood in the... Yeah, and like in fairness, like it was incredible the amount of discouragement I got from people over here. It's like, do you really want to go home to disappear for that long to make a, a, you know, a little movie back home that maybe no one will see? And it's like, well... First of all, go fuck yourself. <laughs> you know, like I'll do what I want to do. But, it, you know, that, that movie had so, held so much more weight and power and it has for so many people. You know, Ben, Jackie obviously. Yeah. Um, why I talk about Ben, is this a good time to talk about Ben? Yes, why not? Oh, good. It's never a bad time to talk about Ben. <laughs> um, I had the pleasure of doing one of these with Ben too, so. Oh, no, I look forward to hearing yeah. that. <laughs> anything that comes out of Ben's mouth is worth listening to. Um, ben is, you know, I, I've known Ben since I was on the, my very first set because I did my first ever job with Ben. Wow. I played his younger brother on an episode of uh, Police Rescue, the same show that my brother played a dead body on. You know, it was the first time I'd been paid to be in front of a camera Really? Oh, no, I had I had before, but as a kid, you know, this is like once I thought I was a serious actor, I was out of drama school, it was, like, it was my first job. I quit my hotel job, um, went to DY to shoot with Ben, 
which is incredible. And um, and then I got shot in the neck in the first five minutes of the episode. So my scene, my scene was over at eleven o'clock, and then I, I le- you know, I left around lunchtime. But it it was it was funny because I left there realizing now I had no job because I'd left my job thinking just the beginning of my acting career because I was I was probably a little bit self confident or, or decided that it was time to be self confident. But I'd also met Ben, and there was something about being in the proximity of him and going, all right, well. Like I could, you know, it gave me a confidence to think that the future was going to be okay. Like if I did the right thing. And so now I've done five or six jobs with Ben. <laughs> I've done five and I'm about to do my sixth. Wow. And What uh, were the five? I know it was Gods and Kings and Animal Kingdom. Well, there's there's a movie that shall remain nameless. No, there's we, we did a movie in Adelaide together uh, in 96. So Police Rescue was 94. Uh, we shot in 96. Um, I'm laughing. You'll, it's a nice thing for people to go work out. But, yeah, well, they can go on our MDB. And, uh, and then we did uh, an animation, $9.99. Uh, Gods and Kings, you know, Ridley Scott. Ridley film. Scott Exodus. Um, and there's one other. There is one. Oh, well, obviously Animal, Animal Kingdom. Animal Kingdom. And then we're about to do... Uh, I think it's, I think it's going to work out. We're going to do the king together. I, I remember a very funny moment with Ben where we were both dressed in in you know s- Egyptian skirts, standing on a on a mountain in uh, in Spain, <laughs> and he just looked at me. And he's like, "Look at us, Joel here." <laughs> he goes, "Who would have thunk it?" You know, there's like, what are we doing here on one hand? But, look, you know, like let's pat ourselves on the back for a minute and, and have a laugh about how hilarious this is that we're both like, you know, when is when are they going to turn – when are they going to – when is the bouncer going to come and tap us on the shoulder and tell us we're not meant to be in this club? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, even though we knew we deserved to be there. Yeah. It was a little bit of a kind of an acknowledgement of the, the journey the two of us had taken up until that point. Being a little bit, allowing ourselves to be a little bit proud. But of course, because we're Australian, we had to have a bit of a laugh about it <laughs> as well. And it helped that we we're both wearing skirts. And eye makeup, right? <laughs> and eye makeup. <laughs> but I love him, you know what yeah. I mean? And I, he's been a great inspiration to me. And well, I think he's truly one of the greatest actors I've ever seen. And I think it's great that the world is aware of that yeah. now because there's there's more of him out there because people are really understanding that. I don't have time to ask you about all the great films that you did in a row after that, like Zero Dark Thirty and Great Gatsby, but it sounded like from a filmmaker's point of view yourself, you were like in this amazing film school where you got to work with incredible directors. I mean, Mm. how were those experiences for you in terms of inspiring you and teaching you what you wanted to put to work? Uh Incredible. I mean, you know, just every director obviously has their own approach. I always think it's funny that most directors will never get to see other directors at work the way actors will, you know, selling ourselves to all different sorts of shows. And I I don't mean to be trite about that, but, you know, in terms of the expression of just having many partners (laughs) out there in, in work, the idea that you get to meet experience, watch, observe, learn from so many different people and even just little things that stick with you. I remember uh, on Zero Dark Thirty I'd ask Catherine Bigelow lots of questions and 
She said something really kind of cool because she always seemed to be so kind of effortless and graceful on set and and everything was so pre-planned that you could almost imagine that she was just there watching. And she said, well, you know, what I do is I just hire all of the greatest people and I just get out of their way. She was discrediting herself in many ways and under underselling herself that, that the amount of pre-planning and conversations with those people. But she didn't presume to tell a cinematographer how to frame a shot. She didn't presume to kind of tell people how to do their job. She just hired the right people and that was that was a lot of her power. And along the way appreciated them. So for me, like heading towards being a director, so on one hand I was getting all these great experiences as an actor and getting to do the kind of things that I always wanted to do, which was to play all different sorts of characters and, mm. you know, jump around the spectrum a bit and try out Yeah, things. you look at the roles you played in all those movies and they were so different, like Great Gatsby and... Yeah, and that was always what I wanted to do. I mean, to me, acting is a bit of dress-ups. And then along the way, thinking about taking these baby steps towards getting behind the camera in a, in a more significant way, which I was terrified of, was about you know, doing a lot of writing and, and – but, but yeah, I was observing directors, just taking the good and the bad and their approach and how they used the camera and, you know, how many cameras they used and how they, how they dealt with and conducted themselves with other people. I mean, I think everybody teaches you something, you know, mm. everybody you meet. <clears throat> but, yeah, when you're really opening your eyes and ears to it for a particular reason, you can learn a lot. Well, and you finally did it with The Gift and what a great movie that was and it just – I, I, I feel like not only was it well-received by the public but also it really made a lot of people in the industry look at you as a filmmaker that they wanted to work with, right? I thought you were going to say as a creepy dude. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, no. That too. <laughs> it definitely it – definitely, um, two of the things that it did was it, um, it confirmed for me that I'd like to – direct movies or direct stuff you know I also recognized that if I was going to make a first movie if it, if it had some sort of impact at least in in a in at the movie theaters and did well well essentially if it did well if a lot of people saw it that then I would have the ability to do the kind of thing that I really wanted to do not that the gift wasn't what I really wanted to do but what I wanted to do was maybe what I've more of what I've done now mm-hmm. you know work with actors on a more dramatic level like a drama rather than you know have to stick into a genre sort of framework you know so talk about boy erased really uh quickly because this will be um out later this year and you've put your heart and soul into this film for a while now why this story and how the hell did you get such an amazing cast (laughs) (laughs) i've been dealing with this film thinking about it every day literally almost without fail since a year and a month ago. So I was in Budapest when I saw you. I'd been given the book, Boy Erased, about Garrett Conley's sort of time being sent to a conversion therapy place for his sexuality. His dad was a Baptist minister, found out he was gay. And I, I, I kind of read it almost like crack crime fiction. And I love prison stories and I love cult stories so the book kind of just satisfied so many things in me and also the theme of just injustice and and freedom to be whoever you are so i just saw this incredible human story in it that was also kind of delectable in its madness 
as in it was one flew over the cuckoo's nest meets um, you know, ordinary people. I couldn't get it out of my head. It was like it was under my skin immediately and I wrote, I wrote the screenplay based on the book and then I sent it to Lucas Hedges. He was wonderful in Manchester by the Sea for anyone who doesn't know who Lucas Hedges is. And it just so happened that those two roads converged at the perfect time as well. I happened to have worked for his dad in 2006 on The Odd Life of Timothy Green and Lucas and I used to play basketball together when he was 12. Wow. Uh, and that was around he got his first acting job and I sent him a note at the time and I had no idea that eventually like we would end up working together. And, and I, it wasn't just going who do I know that I can put in the movie. He was the right, very much the right person. And then I couldn't get Nicole and her performance in Lion out of my head and imagining her and Lucas as family made sense. But because I'd made the gift, I had something to show for myself and so I think it gave me a chance to gather a cast a lot quicker than I'd imagined. And so the thing actually gained more strength and momentum than I'd planned. Um, and suddenly we had a you know full cast of people. Well, enough, you know, with, with Nicole and then when Russell joined and Lucas had said yes, I think there was this feeling from our, our kind of gang, our team or whatever, that we all looked at each other and were like, well, I guess there's nothing stopping us from making the movie. Well, I mean, people assume that all the Aussie stars know each other, but did you know Nicole or Russell and how, how was that I'd working with them? I'd met Nicole and we'd sort of been, you know, in, in contact over, you know, something before about working together and just knew a lot of mutual people, but yeah. we weren't, you know, very chummy before. Russell I'd met on a handful of occasions, but, but again, we weren't sort of on speed dial. Um, but we we're all aware of each other, I think, and definitely I was totally aware of those two. And that must have been a little daunting for you then to be direct, not just working with those two but directing them. Y- yeah, it was. Like I'll be honest, I was very nervous about telling them what to do or, or yeah, I, look, I mean the, the short version is yes, I was, I was a little bit shy about stepping into that process but they were both really wonderful to work with. They were so perfect for the roles they were playing and they're just incredible in the movie and I, I feel and they've like never worked together before, which is amazing too. No, I didn't, I didn't realise that either and I've, for some reason I felt like I'd done something accidentally good because people were saying to me, oh, you know, these guys have been wanting to work together for a long time and it's never happened before and it nearly happened on a movie. I was going to be in that too. You know, that's mm. actually the first time I met Russell was when Eucalyptus fell apart and he had a building around the corner from this tiny apartment that Nash and I were living in. And I went to Bill's Cafe or Bill and Tony's, not Bill's, the, the Bill and Tony's place on Stanley Street. And Russell was in there and he kind of, you know, did gave me a little kind of you know, nod of the chin and we had a coffee together. That was the first time we met. Um, mm. But, yeah, that was the, the moment he and Nicole were supposed to share the screen together but you know god i can't tell you how much kind of history is there the moment you point the camera at the two of them because there's a a warmth and affection of friendship uh that runs very deep a deep respect for each other that that goes so far towards building this sort of on-screen marriage Mm. 
that I just got all this free history out of the two of them. That was a complete gift um, that really benefits the movie. One other thing I wanted to ask you about, which was huge, was loving. Um, mm. In that movie, it put you into also that whole awards insanity. I mean, looking at you in that movie, you totally transformed. It was like, you know, I I had to really look to see Joel in there. Mm. Um, what was that experience like? And then when you come out of a movie like that to have to get into this, you know, I talked to Mel Gibson recently about how hard it is for him to realise that the movie's not enough, that then he has to do this song and dance for months afterwards and then everyone oh. judges you whether you don't get nominated or you do and all mm-hmm. that. Was that a, a new – I mean, what was that experience, that side of the business for you like at this point in your career now that you're, you know, you're a name? Yeah, I got very – I felt like I was pretty calcified to to everything, you know, that came to, to movies and movie making like – you know, I'd got it down to sort of, you know, diminished nerves at the beginning of a job and, and um, you know, how to, how to go about preparing stuff and just how to conduct myself while I'm shooting a movie. All the, all the stuff I felt like I'd like, you know, I was getting wise to the way to go about things to a certain degree. And then, you know, going through the massive machine of the awards season stuff was a whole new learning experience and one that I didn't really – kind of wasn't adept at it's a very delicate ego experience you know there's a lot of people sort of stroking your ego and and patting you on the back i i just sort of got a bit cynical about it and i felt like shouldn't the movie be enough like that was a question in my head shouldn't we all just release our movies and shouldn't that be enough well i was really excited that that you got nominated for the golden globe it was just Finally, like <laughs> I'm always avoiding my friends like that time of year when like I, I can't tell you how many times Naomi and I had that conversation where I go, I've got a good feeling about you and then she wouldn't get nominated and I'd be like, oh, yeah, and that's I'm never going to say that to anyone again. That's why I say it's like even if you think you've fortified your ego, you know, and you, you've, you're pretty sound within yourself, like when everybody tells you it's going to happen and then it doesn't happen, it's amazing how for me, I'll talk personally, it's like, it did. It did sort of like sort of leave a bit of a scar. It made me more reticent to do it the next time. Mm. Um, that said, you know, I hope for Boy Erased that that we're part of that whole circus right. because you're I think in that, that conversation and in that mix. Yeah, and I think you know, on one hand, on a selfless level, the the, the subject of the movie needs to be pushed out there in the world. And I, but I also like I'm sitting in the edit room every day watching these incredible performances. And hope for the way that we've put the movie together as a whole that we're part of those conversations. And I, you know, so as much as I'm like scared of it, you know, I'll fully cop to to wanting to be a part of that as well because it is a recognition that you can be very proud of. I don't think you should hold on too tight, but it but it's definitely worth acknowledging that you feel flattered by that kind of attention. And I'm sure you had a great night at the Globes because everybody does, right? Yeah. You went – Nash was your date that night, right? Mm. I still can't remember what happened. <laughs> I hope he brought me home safely. <laughs> <laughs> we share the same last name. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of which, I should say we're sitting in – well, it's your house too, but it's you and Nash. Have you owned it's this house na- together for a long time? Yeah, or? it's more Nashified than it is Joelified because there's pictures of the kids on the fridge and – uh, is a best mum ever award? Oh, awarded to Carla Rafina. 
<laughs> we have had this place for a couple of years. We keep talking about renovating it. It's just like a greater mental picture for everybody. It's a little wooden kind of shack in Laurel Canyon. Um, nothing fancy. Um, and, yeah, we've, this was sort of meant to be a bit of a just a stopping sort of, you know, hideout for when we're in L.A., and you're doing the Heath thing and having the door open for other people that come through. Is that part of passing it along too? Yeah, it's not quite Heath's place. But, no. You know, it's, uh, yeah, and in New York, you know, as well, because I've, I've been cutting the film in New York, so I have a, I have a place there. But I'm trying to – I would like – ideally I want to be spending a little bit more time back in Sydney. I had – I dragged all of my editors out to Sydney for January. To edit Boy Erased in Australia yeah, we during were at, summer. Good move. <laughs> we in were a at, dark room. <laughs> we were at Spectrum in uh, at Fox Studios who are awesome and I had many good experiences with them in the past and uh, I just kind of dragged Jay and Money and Nancy out to Sydney, the, the, the team, and we would, you know, well, I would anyway. I'd get up in the morning and have a swim and then go and, you know, amble into work and then amble home. So, you know, the more I could be in Sydney, the better. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of the Australians these days are like really wanting to be able to have it all, like go and make movies back in Australia and then do something here. And That's what ideally I'd really like to do is create a project that we could take and just shoot at Fox and then do the whole post there and spend a whole lot of time because I'm a bit of – I've become a bit of a workaholic because I wasn't having all of those opportunities until quite late. Um, I always wanted more, I always wanted more. And then when, when, when someone gave me the opportunity to have those things or have the choices, I think it swung the other way and I kind of was, you know, I always get this feeling like I was making up for lost time or, you know, the time I wasted in my 20s just having fun and like, like almost like I'm paying penance for that. I really enjoy the process of making stuff. So it's really stressful and I go through torture and I have amazing weeks and weeks where I'm like tearing my hair out but there's something enjoyable about putting it all together and that final moment where you get to share it, you know, which I did in a, in a small way last night. We had a test screening. You're like, I'm about to show 300 strangers this movie and see what they think of it and it, it was good. Well, um, thank you so much again for your time and um, you. we all can't wait to see the movie. Yeah, thanks. All right, thanks. It was great spending time with Joel and it was so generous of him given how crazy his schedule was that he could sit very calmly and talk about his life and his career. Success could not have happened to a nicer guy. And since Joel gave a good shout-out to Nicole Kidman and Ben Mendelsohn, check out my chats with them and see you next time on Aussies in Hollywood. Aussies in Hollywood is presented by me, Jenny Cooney, and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. The executive producer is Jenny Goggin. For more episodes of Aussies in Hollywood, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app or look me up on iTunes.